was uh, 7.35 p.m. on August the 25th, 1969, and a policeman showed up at a small house in a Northern California town. The crowd gathered on the front lawn, and the policeman had come to tell four kids that their parents had been in an auto accident and that their father had been killed and their mom was severely injured. The oldest of those four told me the story and he said, I remember standing there, you're just stunned. And the policeman turned to the crowd and said, is there anyone here who is willing to take these four children overnight? Otherwise, we have to um, take them to children and family services. He said it was quiet for a moment and then a couple, a young couple, said, we'll do that. And Bill and Levada Davis stepped up. It turned out not just to be overnight, it turned out to be many months, perhaps more than a year, that they kept these four children. And they had four children of their own. So there were 10 of them in a single wide trailer. My friend said we had to take turns sleeping on the floor because there weren't enough beds. I'll come back to that story in a bit. But I share that story because our theme tonight, we're in a study on the fruit of the Spirit. It's one fruit, many flavors, as my friend Brent says. And the flavor of the week, this week, is kindness. We are right in the middle of the study of the fruit of the Spirit. And it's interesting because kindness is right in the middle of the ones that are listed. It's the pivot. I would submit it's the pivot, it's the fulcrum, whatever, whatever word you want to use to, to capture something that expresses all of the fruit of the Spirit. Kindness does that in a very specific way. So I just want to put the verses up on the screen You've seen these verses, perhaps read them out loud. But um, from verse 19 of Galatians 5, this is how it reads. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... Why don't you read this out loud with me? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I love the tagline. Against such, there is no law. Against such, there is no... What if, what if you walked in, somebody walked in and said, did you hear uh, Harry's been put in prison? said, really? Yep, he's in, he's in the Larimer County Jail. What for? Murder. You serious? How did he do it? Well, he, he killed this guy with kindness. You know, that's, that's what, he, I got you, didn't I? I thought that, I liked, I've, I just thought about that sitting over there. I thought, well, I'll try that, see how that works. <laughs> John Stott says these nine gifts or nine fruit are three clusters of three virtues. The first three are attitudes toward God, love, joy, peace. 
The next three, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, are attitudes toward others. And the last three are attitudes toward self. Kindness has to do with how I see and treat another person. Kindness has to do with how I see and treat another person. Oftentimes we'll be talking to people and somebody says, well, tell me about that person. And they'll say, well, he's kind. I was chatting with a couple on the East Coast this past week and uh, did a little podcast for, for Valentine's weekend. And then I was talking to them and they've been together 39 years. And I said to her, so what attracted you to this man, to Jim? And she said, I think he was probably the kindest person that I'd ever known. What is it about kindness that is magnetic? I mean, it's, it's, it's like the highest accolade. Kindness, by definition, is doing something you don't have to do, but choose to do. Kindness is doing something you don't have to This is not law. This is the grace of God being expressed. Kindness is not doing something you have to do, but choose to do or get to do. Kind people are sort of lead volunteers in the kingdom of God. Kind people are essentially the, the um, special ops people, if you will. When, when someone leads with kindness, walls come down. If patience is tough, this is language from Christopher Wright, who wrote, uh, he's a pastor theologian from Great Britain. If patience is a tough fruit of the spirit, then kindness is a tender one. It's interesting that Paul puts kindness right after patience in 1 Corinthians the 11th or the 13th chapter, which we call the love chapter, right? This is how he says it. Love is patient, love is kind. To be kind means to want to help others, to encourage, comfort them, to do something that serves or benefits them. There there are some people who just exude that, who just exude kindness. It isn't that any of us would be unkind, but there are some people who just, they just um, ooze it, if I could put it that way. Ruth's father, Roy Blakely, who's been with the Lord now 20-some years, well, he was with the Lord before, but like he's really with him now, okay? Some 20 years ago, I met him when I was 10 years old. I went to a kid's camp, and some of you who've been around, you've heard me tell about Roy. He was 38 years old, I was 10. Well, when you're 10 years old and you meet a 38-year-old guy, 38-year-old, you know, that you're almost gone, like when you're 38, you know, you're just over the edge there. But he would dress up as an army guy at this camp, and he had a helmet and his World War II outfit, and he had a 38 revolver, which is always good for kids' camp, and he had, you know, boots, and he had a dummy, you know, he had a and so I used to sit right here where Dominic's. I used to sit in the front row because I liked the dummy. And one day, Roy Blakely came to me in the cafeteria line, and he said, always follow Jesus, Dick. And I'm 10 years old, I said, well, okay. And he said, he said, I like it that you sit in the front row. And I said, well, I like Jimmy, the dummy. 
And he said, well, Jimmy likes you. <laughs> you know? And one night, Jimmy talked to me. And this was way before Sesame Street or Fred Rogers, any of that stuff. You know, it was way, this is 1950. We didn't even have televisions then. Barely had radios, you know. And, and, and one night, Jimmy talked to me. And the next day, I'm a big guy on campus because the dummy talked to me. You know, he's the kid the dummy talked to. <laughs> but, the, but the point is this. Roy Blakely was so kind. You say, well, how, how did you know he was kind? Well, he treated us kids like we were real. Like we were, like he talked, big talk to us. There was something about that. When he told us stories or told us Bible stories, you could feel it from him. To be kind means to want to help others, to encourage or comfort them, to do something that serves or benefits willing to do something or take some action that helps somebody else even if it might be inconvenient to myself this book has scores and scores and scores of references to kindness it has scores of expressions of people who in fact express god's character because the fruit of the spirit is God's character. It isn't like he's saying, do, do these nine things. He's saying, if I'm in you, these nine things will show up, right? And there, but there's a great Old Testament word. It's going to be on the screen here. A great Old Testament word. The Hebrew word is chesed. I want you to, we're going to learn a foreign language right now. Okay, you sort of clear your throat when you do this. And you say chesed. So on the count of three, we're all going to say it together. One, two, three. Chesed, one more time. You, chesed, one, once more, we're almost there. Chesed. Now, now you can go to Israel with Brant or with Pastor Jeff and Kay. I mean, you're just right there. Chesed, in the old King James Version, had two words put together to express what it was. And the two words that were together were loving kindness. God's loving kindness to us. It's a very, very rich word. And the idea behind chesed is that God is faithful. Sometimes it's translated faithful love. Sometimes it can mean loyalty because it, it, it expresses God's uh, willingness to act out and act upon the covenants he has made with us. He's a covenanting God and he doesn't bail. He doesn't break the contract. He, he stays with us. So, for example, when Jesus says, this is a new covenant in my blood, at the end of our time, we're going to receive communion together. When he says, this is a covenant in my blood, he's, he's saying the chesed idea, that that's where that comes from. It's a, it's a beautiful, loving kindness is a beautiful old English double word that, that, ta that expresses paying careful attention to our needs, acting in generous, merciful love, generously providing everything for our blessing and benefit. You say, okay, I got it. You don't have to keep talking about it, but, but, the, but I want to. The, the, the whole idea is you have these over, overlapping but closely connected expressions. So you have love, you have mercy, you have compassion, you have loyalty, you have going the second and third mile. You know, all of these things are expressed in the idea of chesed. There's a Greek word in the New Testament that's in Galatians, but it doesn't, it, it, it means the same thing, but it doesn't have the richness that you find in this Old Testament 
word. It's interesting, probably the most famous use of this is the last verse of the 23rd Psalm. Where in the old King James it says it this way, surely goodness and mercy, chesed, shall follow me all the days of my life. Their mercy is the idea behind it. But his loving kindness is always with me. It, David, when he wrote the 23rd Psalm, David, you know, David is a, a shepherd as a kid. Yeah, he becomes a singer-songwriter and he becomes a warrior and a king and all that. But at his, in his heart, he's a shepherd. So when he describes the chesed of God, he's thinking of a shepherd's heart. What a shepherd does, he treats his sheep with kindness, he protects, provides with them, pulls the stuff out of their wool, you know, takes care of the wounds, all of that sort of thing. The most repetitive use of the word comes in Psalm 136, and I'm not going to read Psalm 136 with you or for you. You can read it on your own. But every line ends with this phrase. His chesed is forever. The King James Version says, His mercy endureth forever. Psalm 136. Chesed is all over that and embedded in it. The whole psalm celebrates how God in His works of creation and redemption has always acted with trustworthy love, even when his redemptive work, including acting in judgment on those who have opposed him. The Israelites celebrated God's kindness in this way. Their history was full of examples of kindnesses, of the kindnesses of God. Isaiah says it this way, Isaiah 63. I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel according to his compassion and his many kindnesses. This is 700 years before Jesus shows up on the planet, okay? Here, here is this theme that runs all the way through the book. And, and Paul, in trying to describe to a Gentile people in Turkey, in a town called Lystra, what the one true living God is like, this is how he describes God to the people in this town in what is now Turkey. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. He says, that's the God I'm representing to you. That's the God I've come to tell you. Because they had a gazillion gods. These were pagan cultures. And he comes to talk about not the God who, who, not, not the God who um, holds you by the nose, if you will, like some animal. This, this is the God who pours his kindnesses out to you. Let me just say three or four things about kindness in this way. Kindness is specific. It isn't just that we're generally kind. Well, I sort of get the feeling of kindness from old Fred Farkle over there. No, no, no. Kindness is specific. It's a specific thing that's expressed. I have a friend who's now in his mid-90s. He was one of the top evangelical archaeologists in the country, still is, but he'd been dozens and dozens of times to Egypt and to Israel and to Jordan, excavating places. And we were with him. He was president of Gordon-Conwell Seminary in Boston for a lot of years. And we were with him one time, and, and he was talking about being with Arab shepherds on the West Bank. And somebody said, how do they, if they have 100 sheep, 
How do they know their sheep? How do they know that? He said, um, he can tell by the shape of their heads. If it's a rainy, dark night and he's gathering the sheep into the pen, as they come through the little gate, right, he feels their heads. Each head is unique. And that's the way he can tell. It's a very, his kindness for caring for the sheep and caring for the sheep is a very specific act. That's how that is. Kindness is specific. Here's a principle I'd like to submit to you in terms of kindness. Because the kindness of God is huge, right? I mean, it's, it's all-encompassing. I just read, and you can go read about it. It's all-encompassing, all-enveloping, finds us in the silliest, saddest places, hiding behind our, behind our successes and our guilts, and he tags us and says, you're it. And like the poet says, I believe he means it. Here's this God who hunts us down, not to hurt us, but to express his kindness in the person of Jesus in this profound way. So here's, here's the principle that I want to leave with you, one of them, and that is think small. When kindness is around, it doesn't it isn't really go large or go home, although I like that idea of going large or going home, but it's, it's a specific small thing. You say, well, like how small? Well, like a smile, like a holding the door for somebody. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to go buy a meal for somebody, although that's good, that's very kind. And I'll hang out and maybe you could be kind. You know, no, I'm not. But the, but the point is, it's the small thing that happens. There's a TED Talk given by an Irish businessman by the name of Mark Kelly from Dublin. And he talks about kindness in this way. He said, I would ride my bike to work and uh, I'd see homeless people over on the shelters and on the corners and things. And he said, I thought about giving them money, and he probably did that some, he said, but then I went and talked to some folks who worked with people who lived on the streets. And he said what they really need, needed was socks, fresh socks, warm socks, because we're Ireland here, and toothbrush and toothpaste. So I went home and I made up little plastic bags, a pair of socks, and, the, and he said I started doing that, passing that out to people, and on occasion then they would engage me. Uh, I, they weren't just an object for me, but they would engage, just this little thing, this little particular thing. Kindness, I think, um, investigates. Kindness finds a way so that it matches the felt need of people. And now, there's the general kinds of kindness, like I just talked about, a smile and opening the door. But in particular, in this specificity, there's something about that. I mean, we do that in parenting. We do that in grandparenting. We do that in relationships. We do it with friends. We do it with spouses. But this little thing that he was talking about was fascinating to me because there's actually a, a group, an entity in Denver that is called Socks, I think, and, and they actually uh, prepare socks for folks who are out in the, in the elements. 
You say, well, what are, the, what are the benefits to me of kindness? I mean, like, okay, I want to be kind like Jesus. His spirit is in me. I want to do that. Well, the physical benefits are fascinating. And some of us are more interested in that than others. But, but when, you, when you do something kind to somebody, the tests show, the studies show, that it increases your blood circulation and your blood pressure drops. It says that it makes you look better and feel younger. So I've been trying to be kind all day. I mean, I just, you know, but, so, but I think it takes time. You know, I just, uh, I, was, I was telling the folks before service that, that I, uh, I spoke at a university retreat a few weeks ago uh, up in Big Sky countries. Dillon, Mon anybody know where Dillon, Montana is? I mean, like, you have to want to go there. It's, it's a small town, lovely town, but you fly to Helena or Bozeman and drive a couple hours, and about 250 university students, and I spoke five times on a weekend, and they, they were great. I love speaking to college kids. And at the end, they came to me after the last, and they lined up, and some said, You're, you feel like the grandpa I never had, and all that, and I said, thank you very much. And then this one young man came right at the end, he said, I just want to tell you. He said, I don't pay, I have trouble paying attention. I just do. But he said, you kept my attention. You actually had me engaged. And I'm a cynic, so I really don't laugh. But you had me laughing a couple of times. I said, well, thank you. You know, I'm, it's a very kind compliment. And, and he said, but I do need to tell you that, that up close, you look a lot older than you do when you're up on the stage. <laughs> and I said, well, that's why I like staying up on the stage. You know, you get too close, it's frightening. You know? Acts of kindness. See, I, I got derailed there because I was talking about getting young by doing acts of kindness. But why does, it, why does it drop your blood pressure? Why does it make you feel younger, maybe even look younger? Because it releases two things, a thing called serotonin and oxytocin. Both of those are hormones in our brains, right? And serotonin is a, is a neurotransmitter. Don't ask me to go past what I'm telling you right here. I'm just telling you what I read. And it helps to relay messages from one area of your brain to the other. And of the approximately 40 million brain cells, most are influenced either directly or indirectly by serotonin. And it's connected to our emotions and our motor skills. And when that is released, it decreases depression, it moderates anxiety, and increases bone health, for Pete's sake. You know, the last thing I thought of when I was kind to somebody was, well, I, I think my bones are getting stronger, you know, I, but, but that's what it says. And oxytocin, we know about that, that's the love hormone. It, would happen, it already happened here tonight. When you sang together, when you were together in song, your brain released oxytocin, which is what they call the love hormone. It's what nursing mothers sense with a child. It's that kind of connection. And that oxytocin is also released when you do an act of kindness. What it does is it decreases cortisol, which is the stress hormone. So stress and kindness are opposites. Stress and kindness are opposites. You say, I, I, I just feel so stressed. Well, why don't you do some kind? See how that works. Don't take a pill, take the kind pill. So here's another principle. Kindness is the most selfless, selfish thing we can do. Say, well, that sounds kind of crass. Well, apparently, if I want to help myself, being kind to people is an antidote to the stuff that goes on in me. 
Kindness is the most selfless, selfish thing. And I'm not using selfish in a terrible sense. I'm just saying all of us want to take care of ourselves. This is one way. Philo of Alexandria said, be kind towards anyone you meet because they're all engaged in a big battle. They're all engaged in a big battle. Had a fascinating moment last Thursday morning. I was in Washington, D.C. for this thing called the National Prayer Breakfast. National Prayer Breakfast was begun in 1953 when Eisenhower, Dwight David Eisenhower, was the president. And um, there was a gentleman by the name of Abram Verady, a Norwegian fellow who came and settled in Butte, Montana toward the turn of the last century, had a great heart for the poor, ended up going during the Depression years to Seattle to work with the poor, found out if you're going to help the poor systemically, the culture of the poor, you need to get the ear of people in the halls of power, whether the political people or the business people, because business and politics are joined at the help. And so he started meeting with some wealthy businessmen in Seattle. And one day somebody said, the mayor of Seattle is really getting hammered politically. Why don't we invite him to this group of five or six? And what they did in that little group is they did the four things that you find in Acts 2, where it says they met together, they broke bread, the apostles teaching, who is this Jesus person, and a prayer. They did those four things. The mayor was invited, and somebody in the course of the next weeks and months said, you know, it says that we're supposed to pray for those people in authority so that we can have peaceful and godly lives. That's what it says in Timothy. And so they said, why don't we do this for the mayor? You leave your political agendas at the door, and you just come, and we'll pray for the first family of Washington, or of Washington State, Seattle. And so the first prayer breakfast was a mayoral prayer breakfast, in um, Seattle, Washington in 1936 in this country. Long story short, Abram started going around the world. He worked with Goodwill Industries, ended up in Washington, D.C., met with some senators, and Ike is elected to be president. And what happened was that a few weeks later, his co-chair, one of these senators in a little group, like I just described, went to the White House, said, Mr. President, how are you? And Ike ostensibly said, uh, Frank, Frank Carlson was his name, from Kansas, predecessor to Bob Dole. He said, Frank, this is the loneliest house I've ever lived in. He said, well, Mr. President, we have this little group that meets in the Senate because they started meeting in the Senate at 8 o'clock every Wednesday morning since 1945, little group. And the House started a year later, since 1946. Any senator, any congressman wants to go. And so Ike went to that group, and out of that came the presidential prayer breakfast, started with 200 men only, first Thursday in February 1953. And now here we are 68 years later, and it's 3,500 people from 140 nations all over the map religiously. And, but everybody's invited to come to pray for leaders around the world in the spirit of Jesus of Nazareth. So you got 3,000 people <clears throat> in the ballroom at the Hilton Washington last Thursday morning. And I'm sitting between somebody from Taiwan, a member of the German Bundestag, their parliament, a former head of a party in the Knesset in Israel, across the table, somebody from Lebanon and Kenya, and a lady from Des Moines or somewhere. And, the, and, and it's just this whole mix of people. And the speaker was Arthur Brooks, who's just written a book called Love Your Enemies, and he's a Harvard professor. And he spoke on what contempt was doing to our culture. And his, his thesis was that, that the antidote to that is to love your enemies, i.e., be kind to your enemies. Because contempt, unkindness, a culture of unkindness, is polarizing, isn't it? And it's interesting because just this past year, this last fall, at UCLA, 
some folks gave $20 million to start a thing called the Badari Kindness Institute. And what they, this couple said is to use kindness as an antidote to current world politics, violence, and strife. A culture of unkindness is created in some part by circumstance and in some part by the internet, if you'll allow me this little practical observation. These people said this, UCLA people said this. The internet is a cesspool. Not my language, this is not religious language. This internet is a cesspool because when you can say anything you want and be anonymous, it creates a culture of unkindness. And Jesus comes along and says, I have come, I am in you by my spirit. And part of that in you by my spirit is that kindness flows out of you. One of the things I love about this is anyone, here's another principle, anyone and everyone can be kind. The gifts of the Spirit that are talked about in the epistles, they're particular. This person has the gift of teaching, that person has the gift of helps, this person over here has this gift, and so forth and so on. Those are, those are gifts given to particular folks. The fruit of the Spirit, those are the gifts, the fruit, what we call the fruit of the Spirit, what Scripture calls, all of us have that. All of us, it's, it's a matter of expressing it. It's a matter of staying close enough to Jesus or welcoming, welcoming him into our space, if you will, on a daily basis, so that these things show up in our lives. Let me tell you about another father. I told you about the 37-year-old father who died right at the front end of this message. This father lived a long life, lived into his late 60s. He was filled up with kindness. I met him when I was a young college president. I was 36 years old and Ruth and I went to an event on the East Coast that was for college presidents from these Christian colleges and from, for religious leaders. And I'm in line in the buffet and I hear this voice behind me, it's this deep radio voice, this sort of you know, baritone. And I turned around to look for a six foot four guy. And I'm looking like at a five foot eight person. But he has this marvelous voice. And he introduces himself, his name is Hugh Corey. And he's, he's the head of a church, um, a mix of churches in southern New England in the Boston area. And we get to start talking and he is so kind. He is just so welcoming, you can just feel it. And so Ruth and I had dinner with Hugh and Esther, his wife, and over dinner or whatever it was, he said, if, if you ever get to the East Coast, because uh, the college where we were is in Santa Cruz, California, if you ever get to the East Coast, please call us and we'll have a meal together. Well, a few years later, we decided to take the whole family to the East Coast for a vacation. And we didn't have a lot of money, but we had a lot of friends on the East Coast, so for like a month, we creatively mooched our way down the east. How many of you know that's a good thing? You just, you just, you know, it works. I think we stayed in a motel two nights out of 30. It was fantastic. Well, we get to Boston, and I call Hugh, and he said, please, bring the family, come over. So we think we're going over for a meal. We ended up staying four days, and they took us to Cape Cod, and we stayed in a place that they rented, and, it was, and his son was home from college, he was 20 years old and he was gonna be student body president at his college the next year in the Midwest. His name was Barry. Barry Corey 
is now, we met him when he was 20 in 1983, he is now the president at Biola University in Southern California. And he wrote a book this past uh, year, two years ago, called Love Kindness. I recommend it to you. I recommend you go to Amazon. I don't get any kickback or anything from saying this. But he talks about his father. And he says, Hugh, my dad, had a life verse. And the life verse is this, Matthew 10, 40. Whoever receives you, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So when you are kind to a person and they receive your kindness, they not only get you, but they get Jesus and the Father all at the same. The Spirit is in you. They get the whole Trinity at one shot just when they respond to your act of kindness. I like how Micah says it, the prophet. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And you've heard this before. He has told you, O man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Hence the title of the book Barry wrote, Love Kindness. He, in that book, he says, kindness is strong. People say he was so kind, they're gentle, they're kind. It sounds, sometimes sounds wimpy. He says, kindness is strong. It, it isn't aggressive, because aggression has a strong center and hard edges. But it's not nice. You, you don't find nice in this book. You don't find that word in this book. Okay, It isn't about niceness, because niceness has a spongy center and soft edges. Kindness, as he put it, is fierce, never to be mistaken for niceness. Kindness is fierce. It has a, a hard, strong center and soft edges. Can I say that again? Kindness has a strong center and soft edges. It's firm, it's balanced strong center and soft edges. One story, finish up the story of my dad, not my dad, of the dad that I started with, and then we're done. Day after tomorrow, Friday morning at nine o'clock, I get to go to Fort Collins High School, just up the road here. About four or five years ago, Christine Matthew, who's a timberliner, she teaches AP history classes at Fort Collins High. Christine came to me and said, uh, Pastor Dick, would you, um, would you come and talk to my history classes? I said, like, about what? She said, well, about World War II. I said, Christine, <laughs> I'm, I'm old, but I wasn't in World War II. I, I was like born in World War II, like three months after Pearl Harbor. She said, yeah, but you tell World War II stories. I said, I do. And so I created a talk about World War II. And when you're talking to 17-year-olds about World War II, you might as well be talking about the Revolutionary War. That's like 70 years ago, for Pete's sake. And I tell them that. I said, this is like the Civil War, the Revolution. It's one of those wars way before you. And uh, I just created a talk about the impact of World War II on our culture, on our country, in four ways. What it did with regard to women in the workforce, education, 
race, and productivity. And so I give this talk, and I say, I'm your grandpa, and I'm here to tell stories. And I just tell them stories. And I end with this story that many of you have heard me tell several times here. I'm not going to tell the whole story. But it, it's a story that started 79 years ago, 265 miles from right here. I know it's 265 miles from Timberline Church because I Googled it. That's exactly what it said. And we have folks here who know this story well. 16 million service men and women went overseas during World War II. Six million of them stopped in that town that's 265 miles from here. It's called North Platte, Nebraska. The army said they could stop for 10 minutes. And they did. It was a town of 12,000. It's 24,000 now, but it was 12,000 then. And every day for almost five years, somewhere between three and 8,000 service personnel got off the train in that town for 10 minutes. And there was a young girl, a young woman, 26-year-old. Her name was Ray Wilson. She was a drugstore clerk, and, and uh, she had heard that, her, that some, on that first train that came through after Pearl Harbor, which was like Christmas Day, 1941, she had heard that some National Guardsmen were coming through from Nebraska, and her brother was a guardsman, and you just couldn't call on a cell phone. You could hardly call on a telephone. And so she got some girlfriends, made cookies, went down to the train, and, and it was Kansas. Kansas Guardsmen, it wasn't Nebraskans, but they gave their cookies away. She came back, wrote a letter to the editor of the newspaper, and started organizing women. Long story short, over the next five years, 100,000 women, almost exclusively women, from towns 100 miles around North Platte, came and brought food every day and met every train that came through morning, noon, or night. Up to 32 trains a day came through North Platte, Nebraska, and, they'd, and they got an old restaurant that was defunct. The guy gave it to them there on the train, in the train station, and they dubbed it the North Platte Canteen. And, and these young men, mostly young men, would jump off the train, run in for 10 minutes, and here was this spread, just, you know, fresh donuts. And everything was from scratch. You couldn't go to Kmart or Walmart or 7-Eleven. Everything, everything was rationed, flour and sugar and gasoline and all these things. And they ran in here, and they said there was 100 feet of tables with hot coffee and cold milk and ham and cheese sandwiches and in pheasant sandwiches in season. This, this book, Once Upon a Town, it, and I'll show you the picture, it was written by a Chicago sports writer that said, and he tabulates all this. And he said, you know, it was pheasant sandwiches in season. And I told this story at the prayer breakfast for the Nebraska governor some years ago. And afterwards, a state assemblyman came up and said, my mom was a young woman, and she worked at the North Platte Canteen. And sometimes there was pheasant sandwiches out of season. He said, I just want to say that. You know? <laughs> when Bob Green went to interview some of these older men, because this book was written in 2000 or so, and he said, North Platte, Nebraska, mostly, almost always, they'd start to weep. And he'd say, why are you crying? He said, typical story, a guy said, I'm from Brooklyn, never been out of New York City, graduate high school on a Friday, sign up on a Monday, get on a train, and two days later, I'm rolling out across the prairies. It's the middle of the night, and somebody says, 10 minutes to North Platte, have no idea what a North Platte is. We jump off the train, run into this place, and here are girls that look like our sisters and cousins and women that look like our moms and aunts and uh, all this food, and we eat as fast as we can. 
and we, the train whistle sounds and we run back out and they hug us as we go out the door and they whisper in our ears, praying for you, sailor, praying for you, soldier. We're 18, 19 years old, scared out of our minds, climbing on a train to go to God knows where, not knowing if we ever come back alive, but for five minutes or 10 minutes in the middle of the night in a place we'd never been with people we'd never met. Somebody was kind to us. I told the story at the 60th anniversary of Youth for Christ Campus Life in Denver about 20 years ago. And the next morning, a young girl came up to me and she said, I was thinking about my grandpa. He, he was in the South Pacific during the Second World War and just wondered whether grandpa was there. And I called my mom last night and said, Mom, do you think, do you think grandpa went to North Platte, Nebraska? She said, I don't know, honey. Why don't you call him? But you know, you know how he is. She said, my grandpa's in a nursing center and he has dementia. Half the time he doesn't know who he is, let alone where he is. But last night I called him and said, this is Jennifer. And Grandpa, and, and he recognized me, and I said, Grandpa, does the name North Platte, Nebraska mean anything to you? And she said, he said, you bet it does. Instantly he was lucid. You bet it does. That's the place where I went in and they had fresh donuts and cold milk and they shined my shoes. I will never forget North Platte, Nebraska. It's the place where kindness lived. That's my words. It's the place where kindness lived. Back to the place we started. That died, that dad, who was killed by a drunk driver at 37 years old in that northern California town. And the, and the boy, the eldest of the four, his name is Hal. He was 12 years old. And they lived in that single wide trailer for a year, taking turns sleeping on the floor. That kind act 50 years ago has changed the world. Because that Hal is Hal Donaldson, who is the founder of Convoy of Hope. And every year, we have one day to feed the world. And because of your kindness, because of those folks, the Davis's kindness in Northern California, now we get to be kind, and because of that, 200,000 children get fed every day in 14 nations of the world. I would submit to you, and, and Hal has this book. It's called Your Next 24 Hours, and I think I mentioned it already. And it's about what happens when you have an act of kindness. I would submit to you that the cross is the greatest kindness, the cross of Jesus. Listen to how it reads in Romans 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How fierce and far-reaching is the kindness of God as is our habit on Wednesday nights here. We're gonna receive communion. And if you're visiting or new to us, the band is going to lead us in song, play, and as you, as you wish, go to the stations around the sanctuary here and just take the communion, bring it back to your seat and then receive it on your own at your seat. And then we'll be together at the end and worship together. So as you take as you take the bread and as you take the cup, 
I know we say it's the new covenant, his body. It is absolutely that. But maybe tonight you can see these together as the unbelievable, fierce kindness of God toward us. God bless you as you receive the communion. Thank you, Lord. That hardly seems enough to say. But help us to let our lives be a thank you for your fierce kindness on the cross, in the empty tomb, and every day that your spirit works at us and in us to do your will. We are grateful. In Jesus' name. I'd like to bring the lights up just for a moment. And if you have a bulletin, I understand you've been saying John Stott's prayer at the end of the time, and I think it'd be great if we said it again, prayed it, if you will. But just before you do that, I stand here by the kindness of God through Jesus. I stand here because Roy Blakely, when I was 10 years old, treated me like I was real. I stand here because Hugh Corey, when I was a young college president, gave me encouragement and hope. I stand here because a young man named Hal Donaldson, whom in 1983, I got to hire as a journalism professor and a public relations fellow at the college where I was in exchange for Bible classes at that college because he felt like the Lord had something big for him in mind. We stand here because somebody, some bodies in our lives were kind to us. And it looked a lot like Jesus. So let's pray this as our benediction. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as Foth would say it, so there. God bless you, go in his grace. Thank you so much for being here tonight.